0: every time
1: a proud member of the Gunna geek network the opinions expressed are those of each individual check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three two one
0: on this week's episode can taika watiti reignite the love for star wars films tom cruise wants to go into orbit and are you ready to join the space force Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source and Inside Sports Fantasy Football and, of course, the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He's our own astronaut for Pop Culture Cosmos that's probably the you know when you see our logo that's actually the astronaut it's it's josh it's josh you gotta check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com also his great book congratulations you suck and of course his awesome podcast topic apocalypse It is my good friend with better internet josh peterson what's up man
2: what's up i feel like i'm not delayed anymore like i can actually sit here and have a conversation you don't have to go ask me a question then I'll answer and there's a 30 second gap right there this feels good this feels good
0: it was getting pretty bad I'll say that I mean when I was going back and editing I was seeing like that big old wide space was getting wider and wider and wider Mm -hmm. at the amount of time the gaps but you know what glad you got it fixed just happy to hear you once again just ready for a great show you know what Let's go into space this episode because we're going to be dealing with a lot of space issues coming up here on the program. We're going to be talking about Taika Watiti and his new Star Wars opportunity. Plus I also want to delve more into the Mandalorian a little bit when this line of big name directors. Want to ask a question. Why isn't Star Wars getting those directors involved more with new Star Wars projects into the movie area? So we're going to we're going to talk about those type of things coming up here in a sec. Plus, also as well, Cyberpunk 2077 is courting a little bit of controversy coming up. It got a little bit of sneak peeks as far as behind the scenes to what's going on in regards to what you can do in the game. So a little bit of controversy that could be around the corner for Cyberpunk 2077. Speaking of space, Tom Cruise wants to film in space. So we'll talk about that actual concept and ask the question that's out there. Is Tom Cruise actually nuts? Or is he just thinking about doing something outside of the box that could really be a hit for him coming up? We'll talk about Space Force. Of course, we don't want to join the Space Force, but we might want to watch the Space Force, and that's coming out later this month on Netflix, so we'll talk about that as well. And a good friend of the show, Troy Brewer, from the Discover Community Network, he asked us a question recently on Facebook about Disney+, and the possibility of Disney+, Plus changing its format to accommodate this new streaming way of life that we now have i'm going to pose josh with that question about a new price structure that he proposed and see if it's something realistic going forward but first my friend it is taika watiti he was just announced on may the 4th among all these other great things that were announced including new dlc for star wars fallen order that's coming up also EA confirming that Star Wars Fallen Order is going to get some sequels, which is some great news for that game. But the biggest news of the day on May the 4th was that Taika Watiti was announced to develop a new Star Wars film for the Star Wars movie franchise, which I know just would bring joy to Josh. I think he was probably very happy when he heard the news. I know I was, and I know a lot of other people were as well. He's already had his hand in directing a little bit into the Star Wars universe. As far as The Mandalorian is concerned, he directed an episode. But Josh asked you this. With Star Wars movies now at a, I don't want to say an all-time low, but it is at, at or near what you could say is an all-time low after the disappointing returns of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. I want to ask your question on this. Taika Waititi, could he be the answer to turn around the fortunes and bring the Star Wars movie universe back into the place where it should be.
2: I don't know if I'd go that far. I would say that he is capable of making a good Star Wars film, albeit a uh, maybe one that's not as serious, not as dark-toned as the the new newer trilogy tried to be. You know, he has talent. He is a good choice for that role because look at what he did with Thor. Right, Thor was a Marvel superhero that was kind of fading. People didn't really like it that much. And he brought it in and he turned Thor into a hit. He completely revitalized who Thor was. So if anybody could do it, if anyone could revitalize Star Wars, I think that he could do it. But I also am curious, like what kind of tone he's going to go for, because he's known for making comedies. He's known for making things that have like, you know, they do have good stories to them, but they're funny. And is that really the right mood for Star Wars?
0: I think it's a good direction. I think it's a good choice. I think he is a hot director right now in Hollywood, obviously coming off uh, an Academy Award win for best original screenplay. Uh, He's done a lot of great things so far, like you said, Thor, Love and Thunder. Also what he's done before previously with Thor Ragnarok. You've seen Jojo Rabbit get, get a lot of acclaim and get a lot of notoriety. A lot of his success, what we do in the shadows, a lot of things he's done has been very successful. I'd say it's a better fit right now than, than what a lot of other individuals right now that have had, tried to have their hand in, in extending this movie universe. I would say give him a shot. We'd love to see what he's all about as far as what he's been doing lately in movies and his involvement. People seem to get excited about what he's been doing. I think it could be the shot in the arm that the Star Wars film franchise needs. I mean, I just I don't see many other directors at this point in time that's going to really breathe some life into it. J.J. Abrams, we were all excited for that. And after Star Wars The Force Awakens, I mean, he couldn't retcon the retcon known as The Last Jedi enough to go ahead and make that a true, true success. I mean, yes, it did make money, but when you're down over a billion dollars over The Force Awakens, you cannot tell me the Star Wars movie universe is going in the right direction.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's it is interesting how that happened. Like, I wonder if if JJ Abrams would have had his hands on the entire new trilogy if we would have seen a completely different different beast, and maybe Star Wars would be considered a lot better than it is, you know, with it is right now. I think Taika Waititi I mean it just it depends I mean is he going I like I want to know what the story is what he's working on is it going to be a trilogy is it going to be a standalone because I feel like if he's making something like solo like something in that vein like it, it it'll be good I'm sure I'm positive it'll be good it'll be funny like solo was uh I know it's kind of looked down on by people but I think it was quite and it was an entertaining film so if he's doing something like that yeah definitely he's the man but like if he's I don't know Taika Waititi to do extended stories. So if, if he's, you know, if they're looking at him to be the next, the, the leader of the next trilogy, I don't know if that's such a great move because he doesn't have experience in that kind of thing.
0: Well, there's not many people that do that are really active within the Star Wars universe. I mean, you could look towards George Lucas, but I don't think he'll want to do it. I mean, you could look towards some of the older more experienced directors that are out there like steven spielberg and maybe a couple others i mean with jj abrams going into it he was more on the television side before he really got into star wars i mean yes he had done the star trek movies the first two rebooted films but even he had more experience in other areas and other facets before he jumped into the star wars universe but you're right i think things would have looked a little bit different as far as the rise of Skywalker, if he would given a chance to go ahead and direct The Last Jedi, but again, that's something that you, you can't go back in time. You can only play armchair quarterback for so long on that. But again, as like I said, it's diminishing returns over a loss of a billion dollars from 2015 to 2019. So that's, to me, something of great concern that Disney needs to turn around the people's love for star wars at this point in time because star wars is an entity right now that is not as high as it once was and that's a shame because as you and i have talked about before it's going to be something that on its current trajectory is going to be something that fans that are 10 20 years younger they're not going to be as fond of the star wars universe they're going to stop buying merchandise they're going to stop going to movies because the fact that these recent films just have not cut the mustard. And before that, the prequels weren't even good as well. So you've got these newer fans or newer moviegoers that are not as interested to see this product. And unless you have something to inject new life into the Star Wars movie franchise, like a Taika Waititi, that people can get excited over. And I'm worried about the direction and the future of the Star Wars movie franchise.
2: Well, here's my opinion. You know, I, I definitely think I'm I'm excited to see what Taika Waititi does, but I would also be excited to see. I think Disney needs to put less producer. The producers need to have less say or less control. They can have a say, but they need to have less control over Star Wars while it's filming. You know, they need if they're they have all this young. I mean, we're going to talk about this in a minute. All the young talent they brought in for The Mandalorian, but I I almost feel like people are afraid to direct something like Star Wars they're afraid to direct it because everything every shot needs to, to sell a toy every every character on there needs to to feel some kind of stereotype like it's there's so much pressure from the producers that I feel like a lot of uh, high caliber directors wouldn't even want to go near this franchise you know JJ abrams is I admire, but he's worked with that under those kind of settings before, like with Star Trek. But with, uh, you know, with Star Wars, if I were a young director, like I wouldn't want to go anywhere near it just because it has so much pressure from the producer side to do certain things, and there's not really a lot of creative freedom. You're really just directing a script that someone gave you, and then you have the producers breathing down your neck about your your angles and your shots and things like that, and that's just not something that I'd want to do. So I'm curious how much creative freedom they're truly going to be giving Taika Waititi.
0: And you've seen that in the past in this recent batch of Star Wars films where, like you said, they weren't given as much freedom. Maybe J.J. to an extent, because he has that name power and cloud, he might have been given more freedom and access to do some more things within the Star Wars universe. But you saw, well, actually, I, I want to say this. I mean, look what happened with The Last Jedi when Rian Johnson, he was given a lot of creative freedom and access to, to go ahead and do what he want and play in that Star Wars sandbox. And he made a lot of changes that a lot of people are upset over. But and conversely, you saw with Rogue One, the director, the first director, he left over creative differences. So it seems seemingly it's working two different ways when it comes to the, the current Star Wars universe.
2: Yeah, that's true. And that that always confused me too, like why they let Rian Johnson, like Rian Johnson was, he made indie films. Like he has, Looper was something he did, but like he is primarily known for indie films and let him have that whole, let him have so much freedom with that film. And then you have these two directors who have made a few uh, popular films and they wouldn't let them have the freedom they needed for the film. So it's just, it, It doesn't make sense to me. How do they pick and choose? What is their process? It seems like at the end of the day, if Kathleen Kennedy disagrees with anything you're doing, you're not going to get what you want out of directing a Star Wars film. I mean, I was even reading that whole thing with Josh Trank right after Fantastic Four. He was saying that, you know, he finally came out and said what was going on with that film and how, how that affected him directing a Star Wars film. And they were saying that he, the reason that he had a mental breakdown on set was because the producers were sitting there, like they would shoot films, shoot scenes before he got to the set, and he was getting is either you know go along with what they were doing or get fired. And I guess like he gave enough back talk to where it reached Kathleen Kennedy, and or the movie was so bad it reached Kathleen Kennedy, and she just decided that she didn't want him to direct anymore. So it sounds like she's a very when it comes to Star Wars, like, she's very, very involved, almost over-involved, and if you're not pleasing her, if your ideas don't please her, then you are, your job is on the line constantly.
1: You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials?
2: For the latest news and
0: information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break Podcast today on wherever you get your podcast. Well, that leads me into what we're going to be talking about when it comes to the Mandalorian, which has seen a great bit of success on Disney Plus, and that, to me, part of the reason why is is because of the influx of directors that actually are a part of it. I mean, we have different directors almost every time out and almost every episode, and at least through season one and season two, looks to be getting even better. Because like we did in season one, we had great directors working there, as Bryce Dallas Howard, also as well. You had, uh, of course, Taika Waititi, which is really his getting his feet wet when it comes to the Star Wars universe. This upcoming season, you're gonna have Robert Rodriguez, Peyton Reed. I mean, John Landau, who oversees the whole project. You have all these great directors that are part of it. Why not incorporate some of them into extending the Star Wars universe? I mean, it's seemingly they can attract as far as the Mandalorian all these great directors to come in there and have a hand in the Star Wars universe. Why not have them stay to go ahead? Like they're, they're doing now with Taika Waititi and, and be able to go ahead and create more interesting features of the Star Wars universe. I mean, you have Kevin Feige also going at it, maybe possibly even having a hand in it as well as from a producing standpoint, you're, you're talking about all these great things. You have a chance and opportunity to get all these great directors But outside of Taika Waititi, I I don't know what exactly they're doing to go ahead and extend the Star Wars movie universe even more.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, they're certainly not making it very appetizing for young talent and maybe Mandalorian some kind of tryout for uh, doing something bigger. But uh, again, like a lot of these big these directors who have directed Mandalorian, they are so well established that they shouldn't need to try out for anything. You know, it surprises me that they would give someone like Rian Johnson an opportunity before giving someone like Robert Rodriguez or, you know, even the episode Bryce Dallas Howard did was really good. And, you know, that surprises me that she hasn't been approached about something because Kathleen Kennedy is like she's she's big into the the injecting feminism into the Star Wars universe. There's been a whole lot of news articles reporting on that. And it just, it would seem like it would be a good fit to have somebody or even Patty Jenkins come in and direct a Star Wars film. But the whole process confuses me. Like, I don't know. I don't even know what to think, how the, how this works, What who decides what. It's just, it's a lot of moving pieces that don't make sense. And because of that, I think a lot of people sense, you know, the the lack of organization and the chaos behind the scenes. You know, even having the actors from the the latest trilogy come out and say, you know, there is a lot of chaos. Star Wars felt like a machine, yada yada. Like there, it is apparent, you know. And if they don't get their act together, much like DC, they're going to have issues going forward. So, it really, you know, Taika Waititi's got a big job on his shoulders. It's it th- he's really like they're at the bottom of the ladder. Star Wars can only go up from here, and I feel like he's the right man to do it. But it's still a lot of pressure for him.
0: Well, from a tv standpoint especially with the most recent episodes of star wars the clone wars this season has been its finest from all accounts everybody seems to be in love with the way it ended that series seems to be something that a lot of people have really enjoyed on disney plus especially this last season episode after episode of in that last season really got high acclaim and the mandalorian everybody's going gaga over baby yoda and it just it's something that a lot of people are now interested in seeing and they can't wait for season two so they're getting something done right when it comes to the tv and the smaller screen but when it comes to the larger screen it just seems to be going in a bad direction at this point in time i mean you're seeing declining returns you're seeing a lot of issues there going forward so i'm concerned overall about the future of the star wars cinematic universe when it comes to what's going on there. But I have some hope now, and hope always is the key word when it comes to Star Wars, that Taika Waititi can take it back into a place where we all know and love for the Star Wars movie franchise. What are your thoughts on Taika Waititi directing one of the next films in the Star Wars movie universe? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, my friend, before we go ahead and break on this half hour, I wanted to go ahead and ask you, Something about Cyberpunk 2077. It's not out yet. It's coming out later this year as we talk about it. But I wanted to ask you this. Cyberpunk 2077 recently got a look at by the Australian Ratings Board. And they mentioned some things that are going to court some controversy in some certain groups. As many video games do that want to push the envelope. That want to push the M rating and all that. Two of the things that were mentioned are a possible crucifixion and also as well the ability to go ahead and customize your downstairs, for lack of a better term, on your person. And I won't go into any more detail than that. Just let's say you can just go ahead and customize and change the way something down there looks like, like there for either man or woman. So I ask you, my friend. These are two of the things that are going to create some controversy because it is going to be a high-profile game. It's going to be something that's going to be a lot of commercials, a lot of ads for, a lot of sales, a lot of interest. It's the you know from the, from the same company that made The Witcher 3, which was a huge and massive hit. So I ask you, I mean, this is something on the horizon now that you and I are both going to be talking about probably coming, like I said, three, four months from now. What do you say right now in the in the sense that Cyberpunk 2077, the fact that it might be going in the direction of courting controversy, we all know controversy sells, but could it be too much?
2: You know, they, they are a game, it seems like, that have thrived on controversy since the beginning. Uh, you know, as far as, like, customizing your special parts, like, I don't know, like, what's that entails is it something as simple as like Conan or you can size it up or is it like tattoos and stuff but like it just seems like games these days do a lot of very unnecessary things like what's the point if you're coming out the gate here and you want to sell a lot of copies I guess having controversy like that is a good way to do it but at the same time it just it feels so unnecessary because when you get into the game those little aspects are going to matter very little unless you walk naked the whole game.
0: And that's the thing, my friend, because if it was a smaller game studio or if it's a smaller game, like an independent game or a game, maybe you don't want to go ahead and get that notoriety just for that reason, for shock and awe. I can understand that because we see that all the time headed to Steam or they head to certain platforms. In fact, I got an email earlier today from a PR company trying to push a couple of adult rated games on me to go ahead and try. And I'm like, nah, no, nah, I think I'm good. I'm good. But I'm just saying that we see this every now and then from the AAA games. The GTA series. Uh, let's, let's go there. The GTA series loves to court that controversy. And it works for them, obviously, because GTA 5 has sold over a hundred million copies. So I guess we shouldn't be arguing about it too much because of the what, what's going to be on the horizon. You and I are both going to hear from conservative, from PTA groups, from teacher groups, from parent groups. They're going to be talking about this game because As you and I both know, it's going to come out with an M rating, but it's also going to have a lot of parents and grandparents buying and aunts and uncles buying these kids, these games that are not aware of what's going on inside the box, which you and I see every time a GTA comes out, which you and I see every time an M rated games comes out that people that are not aware of what's in the game, they still are buying these kids, these games, and then they go from there. And it just, To me, that's the worst part about it. I mean, you and I are going to probably buy Cyberpunk 2077 and probably enjoy the heck out of Cyberpunk 2077 because we're adults and we're able to go ahead and play it and have that choice and we understand. But to the 12-year-olds and the 14-year-olds and the 10-year-olds that are probably going to be playing Cyberpunk 2077 by the end of this year because they're going to slip a fast one on their parents or their grandparents by getting it, that to me is disturbing and that's not necessarily on the game company itself, but it's more on the parents who allowed them to play that game.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I totally get it from that side, you know, and you're getting, you're giving a new generation of, of gamers a hard time getting out the gate, so to speak. But it, it's just, it's, I don't know. Like I feel like when, when I was a kid and my parents would buy me games they did massive amounts of research on these games before they let me play them. I remember getting halo and my mom bought that and she was like, she was okay with it. And then she, but before she let me play it by myself, her and my dad wanted to sit down and play it with me. And so we like, we went around and played the, we, we played blood Gulch. We did a multiplayer thing and they were, uh, you know, they were fine with it, but like, you know, most parents I know do kind of what my parents do. they do research, but you have these parents that don't, and then they walk in and find a character naked or find a sex scene, like in Assassin's Creed 2, that is pretty graphic, and you end up with uh, this, oh, well, if this is what games are, then maybe we don't want you playing these, and that's kind of, I can see where that would cause, cause some problems, you know, it's like, it's a video game, it's supposed to be, an escape but that escape should have its limits you know just just much in the vein that movies aren't allowed to do certain things uh, uh that step outside the rating system i think that games there should be i don't want to say monitoring i don't want to say like blocking things but they should be held accountable for things
0: but then it should also should not allow us to not be able to have access to those games because like i said you and i going to see the possible crucifixion and the customizable ant eh, eh, down there, Uh something that's just kind of a distraction small distraction and allow me to get into the game because i, I want to play the game i want to understand the narrative i want to be able to go ahead and check out all everything that that is coming up for this game because it is going to be one of the premier releases of the year And it's something I'm excited to go ahead and play and delve into that world, because as everyone out there knows, you and I have a a great affinity for this type of cyberpunk modeling, similar to what we see in Blade Runner and that type of motif. It's always been appealing to us. So that's why I'm I'm saying it's something that we want to get into. For us, the other controversial stuff is just something we're just going to go ahead. Okay, that's fine, whatever, and move on. But for others, they're just going to hold on tight to it and they're just going to hold on to the fact that that's the entire game when it's not. Now, mind you, there's going to be some graphic violence and things of that nature that M-rated games bring as well. And coming from the makers of the Witcher series, that's something that they're not afraid of doing. But for us, it's something that we should not be allowed to go ahead and be detracted from us playing an M-rated game as adults, but it's just up to the parents that worries me that don't check on what their kids are doing and are allowing their kids to go ahead and play some of these games before they're ready
2: yeah and it's also kids are attracted to things that they're not supposed to do not supposed to play not supposed to watch like you look at we talked about this before right with the hangover like I thought the hangover was funny but then I stopped thinking it was funny because there are kids all over the place quoting it kids who are like nine or ten years old and that was Kids are attracted to that kind of thing. And so you and
0: I were at that age.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Same. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, I remember when Mortal Kombat came out, like when I, I was in elementary school, I think I was in the third grade when that, not the first one, but when one of the Mortal Kombat games came out and all my friends were going to each other's houses to play these games. And then there's like this, uh, coalition of angry moms that would that would be like oh we can't let our kids play mortal Kombat or what or read harry potter or whatever it is like it, it went
0: to state legislatures that's that's yeah. how bad it got
2: yeah exactly and and kids are always going to be attracted to things that they can't do and they're always going to be attracted to the most gruesome and inappropriate aspects of that thing so i mean if you're able to walk around naked or like put tattoos on your junk in this game like it is something that they know is going to cause problems and it's something that kids are going to be talking about they're just going to be stuck on the fact that you can do this kind of thing and that could possibly prevent sales I I don't know like I know it's an adult game so but it's it's honestly like there's you know I look at something like God of War right it's an adult game but it's got such a great story and it's got such great like puzzle solving and things like that like I feel like if there were a way to to remove all the the gore from it, like it would be a really great game for, you know, a 13 year old, but it's just it doesn't work like that, you know?
0: No, because unfortunately many aspects of the violence and other some of the other stuff that's contained within this M rated game or that I'm pretty sure is going to be contained within this M rated game is what sells to many gamers out there. For us, it's all about the action and the narrative and things of that nature, how good it is and what we want to see out of it. So for us, we liked Witcher 3 so much because it told such a great narrative and the action and the adventure, that's what really got me into it. Not necessarily how realistic was the violence, how graphic was the violence or anything like that. To me, it was just all about how the narrative and and how challenging the adventure was as far as Witcher 3. And that's what I'm hoping for because there's a track record that's been built that's what i'm hoping for with cyberpunk 2077 so we'll have to wait and see what's going on with that title as it comes out i think in september if i'm not mistaken so i'm looking forward to the game but i'm not looking forward to the controversy that i'm pretty sure is going to be following it as well what are your thoughts out there on cyberpunk 2077 and the controversy that's already started with Last year, with the transgender issues, and now this year, with the rumors that it's going to include a possible crucifixion and also some designer eh-eh down there. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also, as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about Disney, Plus, a different concept and idea that was thrown at us. We're also might be thinking about joining the Space Force and Tom Cruise wants to go into space to film a movie. We'll talk about that and more coming up after the break. This is the PTT Multiverse.
1: Video game box art, the stories behind the covers in which we talk to the illustrators and artists who are responsible for gaming's most iconic images. Don't forget to check out video game box art, the stories behind the covers, celebrating gaming's most iconic
0: images from the people who created them. This and many more from Rob McCallum Films. We're back here on the PCC Multiverse. Cannot thank everyone enough for listening. If you have any questions for us here on the show, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Plus also as well, check out all the great stuff that Josh is doing, including getting his book, Congratulations, You Suck, now available on Amazon and also Barnes & Noble. And of course, you can check out his awesome podcast, Topic Ocalypse, at any time you want, right there on any available podcast outlet. But my friend, Tom Cruise wants to go into space to film a movie. He made those recent comments earlier this week that got people going, okay, what isn't Tom Cruise going to do? Because Tom Cruise can seemingly do anything. Your thoughts on Tom Cruise possibly going into space to film a movie or maybe a sequence or a scene or something like that. Your thoughts on Tom Cruise going into space.
2: Of course he would you know what i'm thinking about though instead of like him filming in space is the fact that this is going to spark all kinds of new you know flat earth round earth new uh new controversy is space real what is what's going on is the government causing conspiracies we're going to see so so many videos surfacing about that kind of thing if and when this goes down but i don't think it's a bad idea i just like i don't you're kind of limited on what you can do in space i don't imagine special effects are going to be easy to do in space i don't imagine you know they're going to be able to set up big green screen studios in space i don't imagine yeah right you're going to have some guy floating in the background and tom cruise is going to accidentally float off the screen I just, I don't see, I mean, yeah, it sounds like a cool idea, but what's the point? What's the purpose of all of this? How is filming equipment going to respond in in zero gravity? It's just, it's all, there's too many variables. I don't think it's something you just say, I want to do this, so we're going to go do this. I don't think it works like that.
0: They say the brain swells with extended time and space. I wonder if that accounts for any ego as well. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well Tom Cruise's brain is already pretty swelled so I mean I just I don't know if someone like him can survive space you know me I'm I'm happy I'm content just uh, imagining what Fast and the Furious is going to do when they finally go to space so I don't really need to see someone actually be there I would rather see Vin Diesel fly a uh, you know a 1969 Dodge Charger from one space station to the next that's what I'm excited for
0: Not in Fast and Furious 9, but I'm betting you, my friend, I'm going to bet you money, Fast and Furious 10.
2: That's ironic, too, right? Because that's the same 10 is the same movie when Jason went to space.
0: (laughs) That could be a very real possibility. If they go into space, that's probably why they do it. Hey, Jason got to go into space. Why don't we? Why don't we? I don't know. It just, it seems sort of crazy to me that he wants to go ahead and do that. Also seems not very cost effective at all. seems very cost prohibitive to be quite honest with you. I mean, you're going to spend a lot of money getting Tom Cruise into space to film for how long, for what type of sequence is it going to be an entire movie? Is it just going to be a scene? I mean, you know, what what can you really do within the confines of space? I mean, We haven't seen that we haven't seen before that's been made on the ground. I I just to me is I'm not sure it's exactly the wisest idea. I think if a studio does it and a studio allows it and gets him up there in the space, I think it's more for for taking care of Tom Cruise than it is just doing it for the advancement of film. I mean, we've already seen movies, documentaries. We've already seen video and film of people in space stations, of people orbiting the Earth and things of that nature. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And, you know, if if given a different lifetime, maybe I would have liked to enjoy going into space. But going out there and spending the tens of millions of dollars it will probably take to get Tom Cruise into space and to actually have him film something with a director, with a crew, you know, that, that to me just seems... I don't want to say absurd or ridiculous because absurd and ridiculous seem to be the theme of the day going on in 2020, but it just seems to be a little bit outlandish and unnecessary. and I- I'm not sure if I really want it to come to fruition. I- I'm sure it will, but I'm not sure I want to.
2: Yeah, it's not something I'm like dying to see either. It's not it's, it's just it's it's news headlines, it's publicity. it's it's an attempt. I'm sure to make NASA relevant again. And you know, I I'm, I'm not against that. I mean, I would love to see a, a 2021 space race, but I mean it's just it's there are other things in the world that I feel like are are more worth our concern at this moment in time.
0: So what are your thoughts out there on Tom Cruise going into space? Are you with it? Are you against it? Are you for it? Are you not for it? You don't really care. We want to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at yahoo.com. Well, speaking of space, a trailer came out this week for Space Force that's heading to Netflix later this month as kind of a farce, as kind of a comedy from a lot of the folks that developed The Office. It's something that I think a lot of people are looking forward to as new content coming to Netflix. So I know that's very exciting. And as an inside joke to whatever's been announced and whatever's being developed by, by us as a country, so I want to hear your thoughts on Space Force. I think it's looking pretty funny. I think it's a nice little tongue-in-cheek commentary and, and just a little inside joke. And people should not get up in arms about it. Just take it as it is. as some light comedy fair going on in the middle of a pandemic. And it was Steve Carell behind the wheel as the star of it. I really think it's something that could be, could be okay. I'm not expecting anything outrageous or the funniest show on television, mind you. But I am looking into it as something that could be an entertaining watch for Netflix.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I feel like it's going to be, I don't know how many seasons they'd be able to stretch an idea like that on for. I feel like it'll be like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Like it, it's going to be really funny coming out the gate and then it'll be funny for a couple more seasons and then it might just kind of fizzle out and whether or not they choose to do the, it's always sunny in Philadelphia route and just keep making more and more and more. That's unclear right now. But, uh, you know, it's, they're, There are worse things that Trump has done and said that have been made fun of in other forms of media than the Space Force. So, I mean, this show looks like it could be funny. I'm not expecting a lot from it. I'll probably tune in to a few episodes just to see what it's all about. But, I mean, you know, as far as people getting all upset about it, you know, the uh, Saturday Night Live has has pushed the envelope way further than what this is.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I, I don't think people should get up in arms about it. Whether the question is space force relevant i'm sure that's for political shows that, that can do that and you know you can go ahead and decide on your own if, if an actual space force is going to be relevant or not and you can ask that question yourself if you want to uh, or listen to it on all these political shows that are going left and right and back and forth on that but for us it's for it's all about entertainment and later this month when space force premieres is something i'm going to probably give a chance to i think because steve carell has earned it And it's kind of weird, though, with Steve Carell wanting to work with some of the producers from The Office on this project. But yet he's been very hesitant on a rebirth or a reigniting of The Office, even though many of The Office stars, including John Krasinski, if I'm not mistaken, has said that they would be okay with going ahead and doing a limited series run of that. So I want to hear your thoughts on Steve Carell why he would want to be hesitant on it do you think he's his character michael scott has been all played out on the show and just doesn't want to do it anymore i think there's still life left in the office especially because it is one of the most popular shows on streaming today
2: you know it's sadly i've spent a decent amount of time thinking about this um
0: (laughs) sadly (laughs) sadly sadly
2: well i just because i've been curious about that too and i i've from this is what I've come up with. I think that it's because he doesn't want to. Well, he he had a great time on The Office, and he's said that in many interviews. He just he doesn't want to be associated as Steve Carell from The Office. Like he wants to be Steve Carell from something else. He wants to be known for something else. John Krasinski now is known for a Quiet Place. I don't know what most of the other well, people Steve are known Carell's for.
0: Appeared in a lot of movies, though. I mean, he starred a lot he, of pitch films.
2: He has, but if you go up to any, like, charlatan on the street, right, and show him a picture of Steve Carell, they're going to be, like, oh, yeah, the guy from The Office. Like, he, that's, that's what he is known for now. You know, even, like, watching – we watched um, The Way Way Back, this uh, movie with Sam Rockwell and, and a couple other people who I don't remember their names. But he's played, like, this really, like – he's kind of a jerk boyfriend of this mom. They go to this beach house for the summer – and he plays his character, and like it was really hard for me to watch. It's just him reaching to a, a different tone for his acting, but it's really hard to watch because I am so used to seeing him play that lighthearted tone in the office. And so it's hard, after watching the office for so many seasons, to see him playing in other things that that don't uh, require him to be funny in some way.
0: He was really good at Foxcatcher. I really thought he should earn earned even more acclaim than he did for that role. I mean, that was creepy and scary, and that was as far away from him as far as his past. The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which I think is also one of his finest performances and one of the funniest movies that have ever been made, and you know, a movie that's within my top 10 of my favorite movies. I loved him in that role. But Foxcatcher, if people want to see a different side of him and his acting ability and his skill, Need to look no further than Foxcatcher because that was really something that he earned a lot of acclaim for. I wish he would have gotten Academy Award for it. But yes, it still was a very, very, very good movie for him.
2: Well, what was those... There there were a couple other movies. Dan in real life. And what was the one he did with Ryan Gosling? Crazy Stupid Love was what it's oh, yeah. called. Like, yeah, those yeah. Were, that was good. Those were pretty different. To, I mean, they were Steve Carell. Like, it was Steve Carell. But I mean, he did experiment. Like, there were they were movies that showed two different spectrums of Steve Carell, as opposed to the funny Steve Carell that just kind of sits in the middle and teeters back and forth.
0: Yeah. I just think he's a, he's a very skilled actor and that leads me into another question. I mean, you see him as a comedy actor and you see all these other comedic actors, like most recently Adam Sandler uh, in uncut gems, when they step outside of their box, they do a great job for the most part. Aquafina. Did an awesome job in The Farewell. That was my favorite performance of last year. And when they step outside the box, they're able to, on on many occasions, really go above and beyond and get really uh, high acclaim for it. Your thoughts on when these comedians step out and really go outside the box to do something dramatic, for the most part, it seems to pay off.
2: Well, so Adam Sandler's a good he's a that's a very good example. So remember Jim when carrey
0: he's he's done a lot of serious stuff.
2: Jim Carrey, yeah, well, Eternal, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is like a cult classic among The, the Truman people. Show. The Truman Show. But, you know, Adam Sandler's a good case too, right? He only did comedies back in the late night early 90s, late 90s and then uh, early 2000s rolls around, he did crazy uh no, Punch-Drunk Love. And that was one that people had a really hard time with. They were like, this was, I was expecting this to be really funny, but it's a, it's a movie about Adam Sandler, like cheating on his wife and raising a family. And that's just not what we want out of Adam Sandler. And, but on the other side of the coin though, you have people who hated Adam Sandler before they're going, wow, this is a really great movie. And he's a very talented man when he wants to be. So I think there is a lot of depth to be had from a lot of these comedians, but they just don't get the chance because much like Steve Carell, they get pigeonholed into certain roles, certain certain things, certain types of films and, uh, and gigs.
0: I mean, we saw with Eddie Murphy, his last performance on Netflix, that was a big hit for him and also uh, possibly getting a lot of acclaim for that as well. There's so many different comedians out there that when they step outside the box and go to a more serious route, It's been great for them. And Steve Carell is one of those individuals that has that talent. It's just kind of weird when we see these comedians that maybe are are hit and miss when it comes to comedies, but when they go to a a drama format or when they get serious, for the most part, it seems to work out.
2: Yeah. I mean, it also makes me wonder like how many other untapped gyms are there in comedy? You know, it's funny, the, the comedians that kind of break out into into roles like experimental roles are the ones that nobody really likes them or they're not mainstream comedians you know like what could seth rogan do in a serious role what could russell well russell brand is actually a pretty good example too though like he's played parts uh you know where he's been really funny he's been a drug addict and then he played something like what was that movie arthur i think it was where he you know a lot of people didn't like that movie but i thought it was good and i thought that he did a great job of like being russell brand and then by the end of the film not being russell brand well i think it was probably because the movie
0: had come out before with dudley moore and this was a remake of it i think people were associating dudley moore's arthur with that and comparing it and they didn't compare it favorably to dudley moore's arthur was pretty much what it came down to but like you said when these comedians go outside the box it's usually with great success so Steve Carell, I mean, his future is all over the place. He's, he's a very skilled actor, but right now he's stepping into the role of going into and joining the Space Force. So looking forward to seeing what he can do with his comedic talents. I'm hoping he'll return to The Office if they do a remake or, or actually a reboot or whatever it is they plan to do with The Office coming up down the line, because you know they're going to. NBC Universal's got to go ahead and, and look into that once again to try and see if they can go ahead and get that restarted. But if we, with Space Force, at least is a bit, a little bit of Steve Carell that we're used to seeing. And with Minions, the rise of Gru being delayed, uh, it looks like this is going to be the dose of Steve Carell we're going to get for at least a little while. What are your thoughts about joining the Space Force coming up later this month on Netflix? Share us your thoughts. Pop Culture Cosmos at Yahoo.com.
1: You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. <laughs> Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games.
0: Well, my friend, before we head on out, I just want to go ahead and ask you this. Troy Brewer, who runs the Discover Community Network, one of our great outlets as part of our syndication, cannot thank you enough, first off, for playing all of our shows. I want to ask you this. He threw this out there, and we were having a discussion before we went on air about Disney Plus. He was thinking, now get this limiting, let's say, let's say Black Widow comes out, but limiting the number of weeks that Black Widow would be out in theaters. And going ahead and after that, straight after a three or four week run, straight to Disney Plus, raising the price, of course, of Disney Plus to compensate for all these newer releases going to that outlet. So I'm wondering, would you pay $25 or $20 a month? But in return, you would be getting content faster from the big screen to Disney Plus.
2: Okay, see, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I mean, and no doubt there would be pushback from the Edwards and the AMCs and things like that. But here, here's my, my thought on that. And this is instantly what I thought about the moment you said that would, is that I would, with, with that, with that in mind, I wouldn't mind paying it for certain months. So Disney Plus would go, if that were the case, Disney Plus would go from something that I'm constantly subscribed to to something I would only subscribe to when there were things I wanted to watch. I I look at it this way, like $25 is a lot of money. And if I'm paying this extra amount of money for these movies, why am I paying $25 a month for these months when there are no movies out? I would go back to it, like say when if I want to watch Mulan or I want to watch Black Widow or any of these other, you know, the Disney plus Marvel shows or Mandalorian yeah, I, I could see myself paying that money to watch those shows. But when I was done with them, I would probably cancel it until there was something else I wanted to watch, just because $25 is a pretty hefty amount of money.
0: Going to 25 even $20 a month is a big jump for them. And you're going to have to justify that with a lot of fresh content on there. And you know that would mean a, a new movie from the theaters would have to go there every three to four weeks, which means that you would have a movie come out like The Jungle Cruise when it comes out next year. That's that's a movie that's been delayed with The Rock and Emily Blunt. That movie would have to only be out in theaters maybe three or four weeks, and then you would have to right there on Disney+. Plus, and then you would have to have something come up in three to four more weeks and pop that on there. So that, that to me is going to be very tough, even for a company like Disney, which we were complaining this time last year of oversaturating the cinema market. We would be complaining about that last year, but this year and in that type of context, maybe it wouldn't be so bad.
2: Well, look at it this way, too. I mean, I don't know how the economics of that would work, but I feel like, you know, with a company like uh, Universal, right, putting Trolls World Tour out. Like they're a Trolls World Tour would probably uh, is a movie that make anywhere in the range from 100 million to three or 400 million right just on a normal release would having that for disney doing the disney plus for 25 dollars, even with that increased price tag would that compensate for the possible 800 million to over a billion dollars that certain films could make do you think that that would level that price out
0: i don't know that's that's just a hard pill to swallow at 20 to 25 dollars a month that would become your only source of viewing for most people out there i mean Netflix, you would probably have to say goodbye to because you could, a lot of people spending the money on Netflix and Disney Plus, if Disney Plus was $25, Netflix would try to do something to compensate that. So you would see them go up to maybe $15 to $20 a month as well. And then if you wanted to go to HBO Max and and deal with that, and they try to do the same thing with all the Universal movies, so the Fast and Furious would immediately go to their service about three or four weeks in out of the theaters, that to me is a tough call. And uh, you're right, the theaters chains out there, especially overseas, and even in this country, like you see with AMC and Regal doing right now, with uh, you know moaning and groaning at Universal, which you and I both know, once this climate becomes healthy again for movie viewing, you know it's going to be all water under the bridge and they're all going to start loving each other again, especially around the time the Fast and Furious comes around because you know they're not going to pass that kind of money up. It's just that it's going to be hard to walk away from that money at the box office. Once the the movie theaters get healthy again and people start actually going to the theaters worldwide, it's going to be really hard for studios such as Disney and universal to give up that front line first run money. And even though I think it's a great idea that Troy Brewer proposes, That may be something down the line that Disney would consider. I just don't think we're ready, even in the middle of a pandemic, to go to it yet.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess Universal's handling of this whole situation with uh, Edwards and AMC could possibly set the precedent for something like that. Could you know just seeing how that works out could maybe inspire a model like that in the eyes of other people. But you know, you 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 had mentioned Netflix, and that's a good point i i feel like i get more quality content from netflix than i do from disney plus so that being said there would have to be a lot of big films being released constantly in order to justify that price tag
0: and do you think this would lead to and this is something that he also and he and i were also alluding to is the fact that hulu because it carries stuff all over the place from young to older audiences to stuff that disney and it's family-friendly ideal with Disney Plus doesn't carry, do you think that eventually Disney Plus would probably have to say, you know what, we're going to cut Hulu, transfer that all that stuff here, just to justify that even more, along with the fresh new content that would be coming from a type of box office early returns and an early exit from the theaters into Disney Plus in order to justify a $20 to $25 a month Price tag at this point in time, I would have to really think that the Hulu stuff would have to all move over as well for me to go ahead and justify it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think Hulu also would have to really up their content as well because I know Hulu's kind of been the. Well, I the would, document. I would
0: think they would get rid of Hulu personally.
2: You think so? Because I mean Hulu's kind of been the docking place for all the Fox properties that Disney now owns, with the exception of like Home Alone and some of the other like kid movies. But, you know, it'd be smart on them to also be putting like the give all put all the Fox searchlight pictures on there, put the the X-Men movies, like all the big Fox titles, put them on Hulu, give people a reason, you know, if they were increasing that content as well, then maybe I would think about twenty-five dollars more as opposed to just getting disney stuff i mean we've seen
0: with the princess bride coming to disney plus recently and some other things that they're slowly migrating over there or at least testing the waters on i just think in order to justify that price you need something a little bit more than going ahead and saying okay black widow after three or four weeks release is going to go there or this latest Disney film is going to go to Disney plus in order to justify the $25 a month that you're asking for. It's close. I would need more Hulu content and let's put it this way. Hulu, anyways is in the time that it's been around, it's only still around 25 million viewers as opposed to Disney plus in the short time that it's been around and the focus that Disney has paid attention to on it has gotten to 50. So you've gotten that point in time where Hulu has had its opportunity and already Disney Plus has passed it by. I think in order to go ahead and justify that price and get a lot more content, which is something you and I have already said, Disney Plus sorely needs, Disney may need to go ahead and say, you know what, we're going to have to skew the idea of a family-friendly only type format and carry pretty much everything that we've got in stock to just go ahead and justify the amount of content that you need to maintain a $25 a month status for the entire year.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, you know, The Mandalorian already kind of pushes that envelope a little bit in terms of, you know, the the violence in it. So, I mean, yeah, I completely agree. Disney would have to stop. They'd have to tote outside of their, like, politically correct and family-friendly narrative and kind of branch out a little bit and they would yes they would have to put fox properties up there independence day uh x-men things like that like they'd have to really give enough content to make that worth people's money
0: even all the stephen king stuff that they have that would have to go over there as well i mean it just to me would make more sense at some point in time down the line if you really want to go ahead and justify that price tag not only include early releases from the theaters, but also as well include all the Hulu content, fold Hulu up and just go ahead and make Disney Plus a complete experience comparable to Netflix. Because if they do, if they have the power of Hulu and Disney Plus within that confines, plus you're getting early releases from Disney movies, that would, to me, would be an ultimate experience.
2: Yep, I agree. That might be a little bit more worth the $25 a month.
0: Well, what do you think out there about this concept that our good friend Troy Brewer has thought of from the Discover Community Network about if Disney Plus went to that extreme price point, it delivering early run releases of films after three or four weeks out of theaters into Disney Plus, and then also getting Hulu involved in combining all that Hulu content as well. Share us your thoughts on a rebranded Disney Plus and the possibility it could happen Share us your thoughts on that. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. I cannot thank you enough for hanging around with me for an hour on today's show. Coming up on the Monday show, as Josh and I are going to be talking about something that's very interesting to him, and that's the first look at some Xbox Series X games coming up at the Inside Xbox May 2020 stream, Any last thoughts on the way out, my friend?
2: Yeah, speaking of controversy, so I just finished that part in Final Fantasy VII last night where Cloud gets dressed up like a woman. They actually handled it pretty well, though it kind of removes you from the game a little bit because there's like a little mini dance game you got to do to win. It would have been offensive according to 2020 standards, and they handled it well. And, you know, I just want to say, I guess, kudos on that. But also, like, it was a very weird scene to play.
0: But you're a very weird guy so i guess it fits
2: yeah that's true i mean i do like rhythm games so i guess the dancing part wasn't that bad
0: there you go ddr all the way final fantasy 7 remake has been a great entry for this year in video games in a time of pandemic it comes as quite a relief for those who are just trying to go ahead and find an escape and the final fantasy 7 remake has done that for a lot of gamers so kudos like you said the square enix on doing something that the fans have been clamoring for for quite a long time and it's paid off and paid off very well so for josh peterson this is gerald glassford It's another beautiful day right here in the pcc multiverse thank you for listening and here's hoping you have yourself a great
1: What's new on the 42 cast? Let's ask my co-hosts. We're talking about Doctor Who. Comic book
0: shows and movies. And we're talking about all things Star Trek. And so much more. Check us out on Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes.
2: It's
1: only on the 42 cast. Your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything.
2: So Nathan, when are we finally talking Babylon 5?
0: You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast.
1: This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the T Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
2: Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com.